Howdy and welcome to the 10-Week Bible Study. This is week three, day four of our study of Joshua. I'm your host, Aaron Hibbs, and today we're talking about Joshua 8, 18-29. Welcome back to the 10-Week Bible Study. Again, I'm your host, Aaron Hibbs. Would you join me as we pray before we start today? Lord, fill our hearts and our minds with the knowledge of you through your word. Give us grace to meditate on your word day and night because we're filling our hearts and our minds with it so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With that, let's jump into God's word. to be reading today from the NIV. This is Joshua 8, starting in verse 18. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Hold out toward Ai the javelin that is in your hand, for into your hand I will deliver the city. So Joshua held out toward the city the javelin that was in his hand. As soon as he did this, the men in the ambush rose quickly from their position and rushed forward. They entered the city and captured it and quickly set it on fire. Now, I have a couple of questions here. Was this something that the Lord spoke to Joshua beforehand, and this was the sign that he gave to the ambushers to go and attack the city? Perfectly reasonable. That could have been the case, right? Um, It makes me wonder, how did they see him? Right? I mean, it, we're not talking about, this is not like a 20 mile distance. This is not modern warfare where everyone's forever away and you got to have radio communication. This is geographically a relatively small area, but still there's mountains and trees and valleys. All, all this stuff is like, could they have known for sure that they were going to be able to see each other? Right. Or maybe when he holds the javelin, someone blows the trumpet and just leaves that out. Of, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how this worked or maybe it really was. They didn't have any communication. It was just that the, the, the ambushers just had to know, use their judgment on when to go in. And it's like the Lord says, Joshua, hold this up. And this is again, this act of faith and he's holding this thing up. And then the Lord just stirs the ambushers to go in. And then that's when they go and do it. I, I, again, like these kinds of things, I have so many questions about this because they're not answered here in the text. And it's like, how exactly did this work? Was again, was it, was it premeditated? Was it, you know, something that the Lord just did kind of moved in their hearts? Like, like Joshua, this was kind of a spontaneous thing where they're running away. I mean, they're fake running away, but they're running away. And the Lord speaks to Joshua and says, turn around, stop and hold the javelin up. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how that worked. I really don't, but I but I have questions. Verse 20. The men of Ai looked back and saw the smoke of the city rising up into the sky, but they had no chance to escape in any direction. The Israelites who had been fleeing toward the wilderness had turned back against their pursuers. For when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and there was uh, smoke coming from it, they turned around and attacked the men of Ai. Those in the ambush also came out of the city against them, so that they were caught in the middle with the Israelites on both sides. Israel cut them down, leaving them neither survivors nor fugitives. But they took the king of Ai alive. Again, I want to pause. Again, remember, remember when we read these things, when they're like killing everyone, remember why the Lord has commanded them to do this, because the Lord did command them to do these this kind of thing. He told them to, to kill them all, the reason for this was that these people, right? Essentially, the Lord is like saying, like Sodom and Gomorrah has got nothing on these people. He tells, he tells Abraham, all right, I'm going to give you this land, but I can't give it to you for 400 years. The people they're going to go into Egypt, they're going to be slaves. I'm going to bring them out with this amazing feats of of supernatural stuff. 
They're going to come in. I'm going to give them the land, but I can't give it to them for 400 years, Abraham. Because the sin of the Amorites is not yet complete. It has, it has not reached the point to where I am going to wipe them out. But understand that the Lord is saying, but they, I, I see where this is going. I know where this is going. Their sin is going to be so great that I'm going to view them as irredeemably corrupt and wicked. Or I am going to destroy them. What happened in Sodom and Gomorrah in the book of Genesis, what the Bible tells us is not that God was like, ah, oh, there's a bunch of gay people down there. I'm going to go and I'm going to, I'm going to blow the thing up. That's not what it says. Paul makes it very clear. And, and the reason I'm saying this is, is that is homosexuality a sin? Yes. The Bible's clear on that. But did the Lord destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of homosexuality? Not exactly. Not exactly. Paul makes this very clear in Romans 1. He says, when societal acceptance, essentially, this is a paraphrase of Romans 1, but when society accepts that which is Paul calls not natural, when they engage in this, what you can understand and be sure of is that the people they have thrown off the knowledge of God and they've given themselves over to every kind of wickedness. And in that group of people, in that society, you will find every kind of wickedness. And so what we see in Sodom and Gomorrah is the Lord sends two angels to Sodom and Gomorrah. And they tell Abraham specifically, we're going there so that we will be able to see if the cry against the city that has reached God's ears, if it's, if it's really as bad as what the Lord has told us. That the Lord himself, the omnipresent, omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God, that guy, he's like, I'm going to hold myself to the law that I haven't even given yet to Moses, by the way, is that everything has to be established by two or three witnesses. So I'm sending two witnesses from heaven, two angels, right? God is not even acting unilaterally against Sodom and Gomorrah. He's sending two of his angels. And he's like, I want you to go down there and see if it's as bad as the prayers, the cries from these people that have reached my ears. I'm sure the angels are like, uh, we trust you, big guy. Like we, if you say it's bad, it's bad. Let's just do the thing. He's like, no, no, no. You have to go see it with your eyes. And so they do, they go down. But the important part here is that God didn't act because he was just angry at them. He wanted to smite them. God acted because there were people crying out. There were abused people, trafficked people, just every manner of evil and wickedness that one person can perpetrate on another. And those people who are having that evil and wickedness perpetrated on them, they're crying out, God, if you're really there, would you do something about this? Would you save me? Would you rescue me? There's people crying out, calling on God, saying, are you going to do something? And again, the Lord has mercy. He waits. He has compassion. He lets people mistreat other people for a period of time. But then eventually he's like, I, I cannot ignore these cries anymore. He sends the two angels and he gives them the authority to just destroy the place. 
The same kind of thing is going on here. The cries have reached the ears of the Lord for 400 years. And now the Lord is saying, I'm going to bring justice. I'm going to end this. I'm not going to let this sickness and rot continue to further infect planet Earth. I'm going to squash it out. I'm going to destroy these people. I'm going to replace them with people that I've instructed in righteousness. And does it mean that Israelites are always righteous? No, 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 no. No, they fall short too, but they have the law. They have the righteousness that God is giving them. They have the understanding of righteousness. So God is replacing the Amorites, the Canaanites, with his people, the Hebrews, the Jews, the Israelites, with righteousness in mind. And so that's what's going on here. And that's why they're not leaving survivors. Verse 23. But they took of king Ai, the king of Ai alive and brought him to Joshua. When Israel had finished killing all the men of Ai in the fields and in the wilderness where they had been, where they had chased them, when every one of them had been put to the sword, all the Israelites returned to Ai and killed those who were in it. 12,000 men and women fell that day, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back the hand that held out his javelin until he had destroyed all who lived in Ai. But Israel did carry off for themselves the livestock and the plunder of the city, as the Lord had instructed Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a permanent heap of ruins, a desolate place to this day. He impaled the body of the king of Ai on a pole and left it there until evening. At sunset, Joshua ordered them to take the body from the pole and to throw it down at the entrance of the city gate. And they raised a large pile of rocks over it, which remains to this day. Now, I find that interesting. Joshua impales him on this wooden pole, but before sunset, he takes him down because Moses had, had told him, and we've, we're gonna, we've seen Joshua do this already, he's going to do it again. And he takes them down each time because the Lord said in the law, told to Moses, that anyone who hangs on a tree overnight is they're cursed. You don't let someone hang on a tree that, that hang on the tree, they're cursed. And you definitely don't let them hang overnight. And so it's always interesting. You know, I've always, I, I, I find it fascinating. The Lord said, that, you know, the one that hangs on a tree on wood, essentially, they are under a curse. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. He hung on a tree. He hung on a piece of hewn wood he became that curse for us, the curse of sin. He bore himself. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Each time Joshua hangs these people on a, on a pike, you know, impales them after they're, they're already dead. He, he, they kill them and then they impale them just for everyone to see. And then before nightfall, he takes them down and buries them. One of the things that I find interesting too is that Joshua is they're completely destroying all these cities. They're burning them, they're knocking down the walls, they're they're just they're getting rid of these things. <clears throat> and and I I've, I do find that kind of fascinating, right? It's like you've got a walled city, why not just take over and occupy it? You got houses, why not just take them? The Lord said, I'm gonna provide you houses that you didn't build. Why are they burning these things? Um I don't have an exact answer for that. The Bible doesn't specifically tell us, so I'm not going to tell you that definitively this is why. Um, I, I do find it fascinating, though, and I do. I kind of wonder. I theorize. Well, 
you know, these fortified cities, if they allow them, if they're off kind of on this campaign and they allow the fortified cities to just stay intact, thinking we'll come back to them when we're done with this campaign, what happens if the other people that escape, they go into these fortified cities and then take them up again and they got to conquer it twice, right? Strategically, militarily, that's kind of how I'm thinking. Like maybe this is like a good idea on their part to destroy these walled cities, even though they would have a lot of value to the people of Israel after the fact. Now, I'm sure if they go and they reoccupy these cities, it's not like every brick is is torn down. They can build, rebuild the walls relatively quickly and that kind of stuff. But I, I do find it interesting. I find it fascinating that they're completely destroying these cities that would have had a lot of value. They killed all the people. They have had a lot of value, but they would have also had a lot of value for anyone else in the land of Canaan who's escaping from their city that's currently under attack to these existing walled cities. Again, Bible doesn't tell us why or why not they're doing this, but it kind of makes sense to me. Who knows? For the 10-week Bible study, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and I can't wait to see you next time. Hey, thanks for tuning into the 10-week Bible study podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you consider leaving a review for it on your podcast app of choice? It really helps other people find out about this podcast, and my heart is for people to fall in love with God's Word. Thank you.